Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. Chronicles, where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, why don't you start us off and tell us what your random article is? Uh, Alright, uh, right. I guess I will. Um, mine is the Egyptian Parliamentary Election 1925, mm-hmm. where uh, the election saw the WAFD party lose over half of its seats. But, I mean, there's just a picture of this dude and uh, some some numbers. <laughs> like, one link. Hmm. Or two. Like, there's a couple. There's actually a couple. But the prime minister is one link, but he's the same guy before and after this election. Nothing changed. And uh, there's a link to that party. The Waft party. Waft. Waft. W-A-F-D. Anyway, what's yours, Eric? Mine is Myrosetin. Wait, what? It's a member of the flavonoid class of polyphenolic compounds with antioxidant properties, commonly derived from vegetables, fruits, nuts, berries, tea, and is also found in red wine. Oh, so it's a compound. Yep. That's interesting. Sounds medicinal. Yeah. It's a decent-sized article, too. So. All right. How, uh, let's, let's go with yours. Let's, let's right. get away from the left. <laughs> it is M.Y. Rice Tin. My Rice Tin. My Rice Tin. Like a tin that you would have for your mm-hmm. rice. Got it. Mm-hmm. Structurally, it is similar to Physitin, Luteolin, and Quercetin. So... If you're familiar with any of those, it is similar to them. I, for one, am not. <laughs> I don't know any of those things. But okay. I've never heard of them before in my life. That's but okay. <laughs> at this point, I'm more familiar with my rice tin. Says that reported average intake of my rice tin per day de- uh, varies depending on diet, but has been shown in the Netherlands to average 23 milligrams a day. Hmm. Don't know why. Only in the Netherlands. <laughs> Probably Maybe the they're the only care. people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they only people cared enough to do a study about it. Weird. Says that my rice tin is produced from the parent compound taxifolin through the positive dihydromyricetin intermediate and can be further processed to form laricitrin and then syringe tin both <laughs> tin for your syringes <laughs> tin for syringes both members of the flavanol class of flavonoids uh, dihydromyricetin is frequently sold as a supplement and has controversial function as a partial GABA-GABA, yo GABA-GABA <laughs> receptor against 
uh, a receptor agonist, I should say, uh, and treatment in alcohol use disorder, or AUD. And I should go back and, and clarify, by GABA, Yo GABA GABA, I meant a partial GABA-A receptor, but figuring that nobody knows what that is off the top of their head, <laughs> I went with Yo GABA GABA to make you pay attention. So, yeah. I still know what it is, though. I can't, <laughs> I can't inform you. Well, um, I mean, my rice tin can also be produced directly from camphorol, which is another flavanol. So... You know, I mean, you can either, you know, make it from the compound taxifolin, or you could just do camp for all. I mean, yeah, whichever you have on hand, really. If you really are dig, if you really just need some my rice tin, just go to one of those two, those two flavonoids. Yeah. And wow, do I not know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but I mean, boy, you sure can. If you have a camp for all, then you can make my rice tin. <sighs> wow. Oh boy. Yeah, this sure is an article, all right. <laughs> but okay, here here's some words I recognize. Uh, oxidative properties as an antioxidant. It says it starts this one this this paragraph does things right. It starts out <laughs> with like a base word that people are familiar with, explains what that actually means, and then proceeds from there. Here yeah. we go. Antioxidants. They are molecules present in fruits and vegetables that have demonstrated to protect against some forms of cancer and cardiovascular disease. Okay. There we go. Uh, Biomolecules and cell structures can experience oxidative stress due to the presence and activity of reactive oxygen species, or ROS. ROS being things like oxygen with hydrogen detached, or O2 which is your friend, you know, breathable oxygen, Mm. uh, or H2O2, and uh, things that are produced during cellular metabolism processes, i.e. aerobic respiration, which you guys remember from school, right? Aerobic respiration, it's like when your muscles get all, like, burny and stuff because they're (laughs) using, like, acids and things to make stuff go because your blood, you're not in shape and, you know... You deserve to feel pain because you're not, you're not working out enough, you big, you big lazy bum. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is, right there. So gradual but steady acceleration of those reactive oxygen species, or ROS, and the biomolecules they damage can lead to the development of many diseases and conditions, including thrombosis, diabetes, persistent inflammation, cancer, and arthrosclerosis. Flavonoids, including my ricetin, are able to scavenge for these reactive oxygen species and can chelate intracellular transition metal ions that ultimately produce those reactive oxygen species. Chelation, by the way, is a particular way that ions and molecules bind metal ions. So basically, it is going through and binding things in such a fashion Mm. that there is not a chance for the reactive oxygen species to damage stuff, damage your very biology. Right. And there's also the one you don't hear much about, pro-oxidant. And it says multiple studies have demonstrated that my rice tin also has the potential to act as a pro-oxidant due to its tendency to undergo auto... 
autoxidation depending on its environment. So it can be both antioxidant and pro-oxidant, which is interesting. It has been seen that when it, in the presence of cyanide, autoxidation is favored, resulting in superoxide, a byproduct characteristic of causing cellular damage. However, sodium azide, superoxide dismutase, and catalase have been seen to inhibit the autoxidation of myristin. Says that myristin is also a pro-oxidant and its ability to uh, increase the production of hydro hydroxy radicals through reactions with uh, iron two positive or iron three positive and hydrogen peroxide. The resulting hydroxy radicals are often linked to DNA degradation. Hmm. However, there are doubts as to whether or not this damage would be significant. Because when analyzed with both bovine and human uh, serum albumin, there was some uh, demonstrated protection against those free radicals. So <laughs> there is a chance that uh, my rice tin can do some good for you without doing any bad for you, but there's also a chance that it can just it can do good and then also <laughs> do bad. Oh, boy, does it have a whole like list of health applications down here. Potential health effects. Look at all these. Yeah. Can protect cells from carcinogenic mutation. It's always good. Yeah, yeah, if you really don't want skin cancer, I guess my <laughs> ricin is potentially able to do this. Mm -hmm. It says that my ricin has been seen to demonstrate antiviral activity against a number of viruses, including Maloney murine leukemia virus, Rasher murine leukemia virus, and the human in immunodeficiency virus. Its effects against the proliferation of viruses is thought to be a consequence of its ability to inhibit the proper functioning of reverse transcriptase. Hmm. Which, for whatever reason, I remember. That's that guy that, uh... Basically, it's... I, what's reverse transcriptase? It's RNA, right? Maybe. Yeah, it's an enzyme used to generate complementary DNA from an hmm. RNA template. Which means something. <laughs> can also be anti-diabetic. Hmm. Has that application as well. It can be a neuroprotectant. Uh, basically protecting neurons against oxidative stressors. Hmm. It's anti-inflammatory. Like, um... I don't know, which, which of those medicines is anti-inflammatory? Is it... As an aspirin? Yeah, that might be it. I think it's aspirin. Yeah. Maybe they, they, there might be a good portion of them might be. Yeah, I'm sure there are. But I don't know, I don't know exactly which. Still, um, seems like this thing is pretty handy for mm -hmm. a lot of inconvenient things. Yeah. Um, though I will note that a lot of these uh, subheadings also have a lot of skepticism mm. kind of written into them. Just, uh that there are tests that are saying that the application is either very specific or that it is not all that convincing, <laughs> um, that it actually works. So yeah, yeah, take it with a grain of salt before you take a gram of my rice tin. <laughs> all right, well, from here, we can go to a bunch of different 
Science-y looking numbers. Yeah. We can go to a chem spider. Yeah, I was looking at that too. <laughs> Why wouldn't you look at chem spider? Oh, we could also look at smiles. 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 It stands for simplified molecular. Oh, come on, come back. It stands for simplified molecular input line entry system. Less smiles now. <laughs> less less smiles. Yep, there's a weird long equation type thing. If you click show, it's a whole bunch of C's and O's. Well, you want to try out chem spider? Yeah, I want to get a chem spider. <laughs> I want to see what that is. We're going to go. Okay, so the image for chem spider it looks like a spider. Looks like the logo from Spider-Man and Iron Man got together and <laughs> became the same thing, and that's what it is. Mm. It's like a spider legs with an Iron Man heart in the middle. Yeah. That's right, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay, so the very first sentence, which says, Chem Spider is a database of chemicals which is owned by the Royal Society of Chemistry has 12, no, 11 citations. Just for that one sentence? Just for that one sentence, they needed to really hammer in, this is absolutely correct. It's I really correct. I have 11 different sources on this. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, they, they weren't... <laughs> Maybe, like, they had one source and the Wikipedia editor was like, Hey, um, I'm not so sure about your sources here. And He's Chem like, Spider oh. sounds a little ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, come on, your logo is clearly Spider-Man logo juxtaposed over an Iron Man logo. <laughs> but, uh, no, the thing that I think is deceptive about this is that the Royal Society of Chemistry sounds like, you know something from a monarchy or from a <laughs> place where there would be some sort of royal royal royalty going yeah. on in the government it's research centers in it it's in north carolina <laughs> it's in raleigh good old raleigh <laughs> rolla rolla <laughs> that's a carryover there we go yeah got continuity yes when we get continuity <laughs> well the rest of these things are very, very poorly cited, but it claims that uh, the database for ChemSpider contains information on more than 30 million unique molecules from over 450 data sources. Notably, I'm not going to read them all, don't worry, <laughs> the FDA, friendly FDA, you know, uh, the National Institutes of Health, uh, and the uh, Web of Science. Hmm. Each web of science. Web of science. <laughs> I'm guessing that's just like... I mean, the chem spider would spin the web of science, wouldn't that's it? That's true. That's exactly yeah. what would happen. <laughs> yeah. But there's quite a few other uh, notable and linked to uh, organizations on here that chem spider provides information for. Oh, okay, so it seems like it's kind of like a Wikipedia-style thing where it's a database where the users can update it and provide new information as they come across it. So if you went 
here, you could use the spider as some sort of finder for chemicals. Like a finder spider of some sort. I believe that is correct. Looks pretty valid. Gives you a bunch of other like reference points for it. Properties. Spectra. Ooh, here's a good here's a good thing. Vendors. <laughs> you wanna get you wanna get some uh wanna buy some some acetone? Here you go. Here's some ver- various <laughs> different sources, various different chem- chemistry providers. You can get any any kind of chemical you want to from 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 this. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So if you wanna wanna make a thing that's not meth, you can go there <laughs> and look. So it says that database rights are not waived and a data dump is not available. Even though it's a crowdsourced Wikipedia-like thing? Yeah. Okay. In fact, the FAQ even states that only limited downloads are available. Well, that's... Therefore, the right to fork is not what? guaranteed. <laughs> Project can't be considered free or open. Wait, hold on. Go back. The right to fork? The right to fork. I don't know what it is, but there is an article entirely about the subject. Being right, <laughs> having a right to fork. Having the right to fork. I don't, you know, I don't, maybe we'll read a little bit more about this, but I think we're going to have to find out eventually <laughs> yeah. what our right to fork is. I feel like I have not yet used my right to fork. Yeah, I don't remember ever utilizing my right to fork. I mean, my fork's usually on my left yeah. when I set the table, so. But it's your right. You can I could. I could put the fork you know. <laughs> on the right. I do have the right to fork. Yeah. As opposed to the, to the left to fork. Right. No, left. Wait. The left the left the right. to. Correct. You can have your you can have your right to fork or your left to fork. That's true. That's true. But my, I mean I have never had my right to fork. If you don't use your right to fork, you're left to fork. You're left to fork. <laughs> Okay, um, well, very quickly, uh, let's clean up this article here. ChemSpider <laughs> was acquired by the Royal Chemistry, or Royal Society of Chemistry in May 2009, and prior to the acquisition by RSC, ChemSpider was controlled by a private corporation, ChemZoo, Inc., presumably a company that had various other products that were also named after animals, but had chem <laughs> in front of them. <laughs> Uh, the system was first launched in March 2007, and a beta release and transitions to release form in March 2008. ChemSpider has since expanded the generic support of a chemistry database to include support of Wikipedia chemical structure collection via their WeChemPedia <laughs> implementation. Wow, they really, really like to force <laughs> chem into things, don't they? Yeah. Okay, right to fork. Right to fork. Right to fork. Here we go. We're just going right to fork. We go right to fork. We don't need any other. <laughs> we don't need any other fork play. We're just gonna go right to fork. Oh, that's an image on the right there. Whoa! Whoa! It got bigger when I clicked it. That's not supposed to happen. I mean, like not in a good way. Like I was supposed to be able to zoom in, and now I can't see anything. Oh God! <laughs> oh, there are so many lines. And that weird like Linux penguin is at the top. That's never a good sign. Oof. Oh God, no! What have we done? Okay. 
there's one line off of this that's called Fedora Core. I just want to <laughs> note that right now. Let's follow one of these lines here from the left to the right. Let's start with. Uh, let's start with Debian. The oh, first okay. one here. All right, let's follow this little first strand to Corel. And that goes to Xandros. And that goes to nothing. Yes, it dies out. Wow, this <laughs> goes way far to the right, too. Yeah. Well, you start out with Debian. And then you go down to, like, there's a gray line somewhere around the year <laughs> 2001. So if you can find the gray line, I know it's a challenge. <laughs> there's... It might even be gray. I, I, there's so many colors going on right now. I'm not sure I know what colors are anymore. But uh, there's a line right there, and it kind of has its own segment because that is the venerated Ubuntu, hmm. the one you know that one Linux build that all of your friends got, and they they put it on their computer and they thought they were really smart and really like <laughs> computery, even though it was the most you know completely user friendly version of Linux today. <laughs> like it was literally just as easy as installing an Apple operating system would have been. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that one. Well, then there's a whole other family. Like look at this thing. Wow. There's a whole like Debian is only huge because Ubuntu is nested within it. <laughs> yeah, without that it would be a lot smaller, that's for sure. Lots of operating systems off this. Yeah. I can't say I'm very surprised because, you know, a free operating system. Yeah, <laughs> why not? There's Linux FT, I see. And Unifix. Whoa, all of these have a link. Not to Wikipedia. No, yeah, to Wikipedia. Every single name on this chart has a link. Not all of them to Wikipedia. I just clicked uh, one that says that was wolvix.org, and I have a <laughs> site full of, I don't know, some kind of Asian characters. <laughs> yeah, some of them go to Wikipedia, some of them do not. I think this is Japanese, but I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely Japanese. There's like a little, there's like a generic banner of business people on the top, and then off to the left, like, there's a globe, but Japan is dead center in the middle of the globe. It's gotta be what it is. All right, well, I'm going to actually kind of go into what exactly this means. Um, we also, I guess we should mention that we were redirected to fork, in parentheses, software development. Um, in software engineering, a project fork happens when developers take a copy of source code from one software package and start independent development on it creating a distinct and separate piece of software. So basically, they just copy and paste and then start changing stuff to make it their own. And yeah, so free and open source software, by definition, may be forked from the original development team without prior permission, without violating copyright law. Okay, that makes more sense then. Yeah. So I have exercised my right to fork, basically. Hmm. Like, I've used different versions of Linux, so that kind of counts. Yeah. And just in case uh, our listeners are not aware of what the word fork means, the word fork stems from the Latin word furca, 
meaning a fork or similarly shaped instrument. <laughs> fork in the meaning of to divide in branches, uh-huh. go separate ways, has been used as early as the 14th century. So there you go. Now you know the origin of the word fork. <laughs> it means a fork. <laughs> So in proprietary software, there's copyrights, of course, but the copyrights are usually held by the employing entity, not by the individual software developers. Hmm. And proprietary code is thus more commonly forked when the owner needs to develop two or more versions, such as a windowed version and a command line version, or versions for differing operating systems, such as a word processor for an IBM PC, or, uh, and, and also for Macintosh computers. So generally, such forks will concentrate on having the same look, feel, data format, yada, yada, yada. Sort of like what you would see between like a Microsoft Word, a Microsoft Office suite on a Mac versus on a PC. Different architecture, but mm-hmm. same product. That's the idea. Huh. So a notable, a notable proprietary fork, not of this kind, is the many varieties of prop, proprietary Unix also, almost all derived from AT&T Unix and all called Unix, but increasingly mutually incompatible. See Unix Wars. It sounds interesting. It probably won't be, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> the word war makes it sound exciting. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, and the fact that Unix is all caps, just basically like Star Wars. <laughs> like, whoa, okay, four words that are capital, four letters that are capitalized? Okay, yeah. Let's sit down and watch. You know, the Mac OS X operating system was based on Unix. So it is a fork of Unix. Shall we just jump over to Unix Wars or hmm. anything else jumping out at you? I'm up for Unix Wars. Let's see what it's about. It might be pretty entertaining. Let's see if it's like the, the plot of Silicon Valley. <laughs> Okay, Unix Wars. The struggle between vendors of the Unix operating s- computer operating system in the late 1980s and early 1990s to set the standard for Unix thenceforth. Getting fancy with their words here. Thenceforth. Although AT&T Corporation created Unix by the 1980s, the University of California, Berkeley Computer Systems Research Group was the leading non-commercial Unix developer. In the mid-1980s, the two common versions of Unix were Berkeley's BSD and AT&T's System V. Both were derived from the earlier version 7 Unix but had diverged considerably. Further, each vendor's version of Unix was different to some degree. For example, at a mid-80s Usenix conference, many AT&T staff had buttons which read System V, consider its standard, and a number of major vendors were promoting products based on System V. On the other hand, System V did not yet have TCP or IP networking built in. Just kind of big. Yeah. Internet protocol. Kind of need that one. That was going to be a big factor because BSD, the Berkeley one, had that built in. Hmm. And vendors of engineering workstations were nearly all using BSD and posters that said 4.2 is greater than 5 <laughs> were available. Sorry, were available. 
So yeah, this this sounds sort of comedic. Bunch yeah. of com- computer nerds rambling around the convention hall, <laughs> making like witty slogans, dumb things like assert that <laughs> numbers that are clearly less in value or more in value. You know, <laughs> very tongue in cheek. You know. Apparently, the BSD Berkeley Software di- Distribution began per- purging of copyrighted AT&T code from 1989 to 1994. Then, during a period of legal turmoil from 1992 to 1994, they had a nearly complete GNU operating system, and it was made operational by the inclusion of the Linux kernel and lumped together under the label Linux. And the system was written from scratch to avoid copyright issues. Linux systems broadly aim for compatibility with POSIX. So that's the beginning of Linux. Well, not derived from Unix, but made from some of the people that were originating Unix. That's pretty good of them to do. I mean, to go back after, like competing with people for legitimate dominance in software yeah. to go back and be like, let's make a better one and then let's make it free. <laughs> what are you... like Today, it's so hard to believe that that only happened like 20 years ago. Like That yeah. was that was a late 80s, early 90s thing and people did it anyway. <laughs> even though they saw the potential, even though they saw how yeah. much you could do with software, they still made that. It's... Props to them, man. Yeah. How philanthropic. Well, where do you want to go from here? Well, there's a bunch of different uh, technology places. Yeah. Uh, and terms. But there's also a link at the bottom under C also to Editor War. Hey, let's make this the war Let's just make episode. this war episode. <laughs> wars that aren't wars. <laughs> war all the time. Let's call this episode War All the Time. <laughs> doesn't matter where it started. It doesn't matter where it ends. War all the time. <laughs> nope. I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> An editor war is the common name for the rivalry between users of the Emacs and V, or Vim, text editors. The rivalry has become a lasting part of hacker culture and the free software community. Many flame wars have been fought. Oh, there's our next target. <laughs> there it is. Okay. All right. Many flame wars have been fought between groups insisting that their editor of choice is the paragon of editing perfection and insulting the others. Related battles have been fought over operating systems, programming languages, version control systems, and even source code invent style. Hmm. So, yeah. Wasn't expecting... I thought, like... I was expecting, like, uh, Jay, Jay Jameson, mm. like... I was expecting I was expecting that kind of editor war. Not a text editor. Not a text editor. No. I mean, I know it's it was a C also from a tech battle hmm. article, but yeah. even so, even so. Oh wow! So there's a whole like uh, table of differences here hmm. between V and Emacs, and ah uh, wow! I really don't. This looks really boring. I yeah. mean, okay. Well, the differences are. I'll, I'll tell you the categories. I'm not going to tell you why, but what's different about them. V and Emacs differ in some key areas, namely keystroke execution, memory usage and customability, uh, user environment, keyboard, 
function and uh, navigation interface and language and script support. Okay, that's how they that's how they're different. If you want to read it, you can, but I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of stuff about editing, yeah. editing uh, program stuff here. Yep. I mean, basically, this is just uh, two different text editors that people liked one or the other. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, there is also a C also at the bottom. Under it, there is Browser War. Ooh, so we could do Browser War or Flame War. Hmm. I think, well, okay, hold on. Why don't we just skip straight to Flame War? Because we went through, like, two software type of wars. Hmm. Browser War would be, like... Oh, okay. It's, it's probably Firefox, it's versus Firefox versus Chrome. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Or even earlier than that, maybe. You could do like Netscape Navigator <laughs> versus like Opera. Opera. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, I was there for those. Those yeah. were good wars. Those, those were good. I think, yeah. I'm trying to think what were... Netscape was definitely early... I'm trying to think if there was something that we had before that. I mean, it was really just Netscape and Internet Explorer. Those were like the alternative. Netscape was the alternative at first. Yeah. I think it must have been just Netscape. But then Opera came along, and Opera was way better. I liked Opera a lot. Um, it had a lot of cool features that other browser, mm. browsers still didn't have. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that pretty much got settled, though. Like, Chrome was like, no, here's how you do it. <laughs> Done. Yeah. So they're back on again. Microsoft Edge. The new not Internet yeah. Explorer thing. I'm, I'm using it's it right a, now. It's a step up. I'm using it right now. Yeah. It's, it's okay. I'm dealing with it. <laughs> All right. So, go to Flame Wars. Takes us to Flaming... In parentheses, internet. Basically, it's just people being hostile to each other. Yep. Usually occurs in the social context of uh, IM or a forum or something like that. Your generic 4chans, your subreddits, all that junk. There is oh, a oh. Flame War section. There is. Okay. We can go right down to that. Oh, it's adorable to see them try to make like a formal <laughs> definition out of something like this. Okay, here we are. <laughs> a flame war results when multiple users engage in provocative responses to an original post. Ooh. While the original post is usually, and this is all one word, <laughs> flame bait, this is not always the case. Flame wars often draw in many users, including those trying to defuse the flame war, and can overshadow regular forum discussion if left unchecked. Yep. Yeah, that sounds, <laughs> sounds right. Resolving a flame war can be difficult, as it is often hard to determine who is really responsible for the degradation of a reasonable discussion into flame war. <laughs> Someone who posts a contrary opinion in a strongly focused discussion forum may easily be labeled a baiter, flamer, or troll. 
An approach to resolving a flame war or responding to flaming is to communicate openly with the offending users. What? <laughs> what a shocker. There we are. Uh, acknowledging mistakes, offering to help resolve the disagreement, making clear reasoned arguments, and even self-deprecation have all been noted as worthwhile strategies to end such disputes. However, others prefer to simply ignore the flaming, noting that in many cases if the flame bait receives no attention, it will quickly be forgotten as forum discussions carry on. Unfortunately, this can motivate trolls to intensify their activities, creating additional distractions. <laughs> Uh, okay, here. Taking the bait or feeding the troll refers to someone who responds to the original message regardless of whether they are aware the original message was intended to provoke a response. Often when someone takes the bait, others will point this out to them with the acronym YHBT, which is short for You Have Been Trolled, or reply with, don't feed the trolls. Forum users will usually not give the troll acknowledgement that just feeds the troll. Can honestly say I've never ever seen the acronym YHBT or I. read the words you have been trolled. Nope. Nope. Anywhere on the internet no. that I've been. Nobody says, you have been trolled, <laughs> and then just like folds their arms and self-confidently smirks at you or anything. Posts that uh, George Costanza picture. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, examples of flaming. They have, they have quite a few here. Um, How do they pick one? I don't know. I mean, like... <laughs> There's an infinite amount of flames on the internet. The internet is the true undying flame of humanity. Yeah. It's the tire fire. Uh, they cite one specifically, a constant debate between Star Trek and Star Wars fans. Okay, yeah. Uh -huh. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there's also a flame war that occurred on Amazon.com after several reviewers posted scathing comments on uh, the latest Anne Rice novel in 2005. Rice responded to the comments with her own lengthy response and was quickly met with feedback from even more users. <laughs> I didn't know she was still alive in 2005. Is she not now? Is she still alive? I didn't think Anne Rice was old. I... I don't know. I just assumed that she was old. I mean, she did start writing stuff a while ago, yeah. But, okay, well, she's not young. No, well, she's still alive. Yeah. And her name I... is actually Howard Allen Francis O'Brien, <laughs> by the way. Hmm. Yeah, I could have sworn that she was much older. Maybe I'm getting her confused with somebody else. Because I was under the impression that she was the lady that wrote Frankenstein. Oh, oh, and which, which is a uh, Shelley. And Shelley. No, yeah, Mary. No, Mary Shelley. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why, I was, why did Anne seem right? Because <laughs> it did seem right for like a split second there. I was just like, yeah, Anne. Wait, no. <laughs> why did Similar that? topics. Uh, Anne Rice wrote about vampires. Right. Mary Shelley wrote about Frankenstein. But yeah, I I thought Anne Rice was Mary Shelley. If Mary Shelley was still alive, that would be a Frankenstein yeah. <laughs> of some sort, for sure. Yeah. 
Okay, so makes a lot more sense now. Gotcha. And they also mention the HD DVD versus Blu-ray debacle. Ah, uh, yes. I remember people really caring way too much about those two <laughs> formats. Neither of which were going to be relevant because nobody understood in 2007 that the future of media was not going to be on any sort of disc. <laughs> wow, okay. So, apparently, among all the flamers on the internet, one of them is the most notable. And his name is Eric Nagum. He nags him. <laughs> who achieved notoriety for his Usenet posts in the comp.lang.lisp newsgroup advocating the use of common lisp. Is that like the speech impediment? Or what does that mean? What's common only, lisp? I can only assume it means the speech impediment, but I have no idea. Okay. Uh, well... Hmm. So, are, here's the question, though. Are you more interested in common lisp or are you more interested in continuing our war saga with forum wars? Wait, will you? Oh no, it's italicized, <laughs> and there's one word, and it's a Z. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I guess we have to. We can't not do it now. We already set up this whole <laughs> war, 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 war. Yeah. What are we gonna do? Okay. Alright, Forum Wars it is. Here we go. Has a logo and everything. Oh god, no. <laughs> oh, it's a game. Designed by Crotch Zombie Productions. Classy. Mm-hmm. In the first month since the game launched, 30,000 users signed up. Hmm. It's a turn-based RPG. Described as an internet metagame, it has been featured in both Wired News digitaljournal.com and the wikipedia chronicles <laughs> and it was described by gawker.com as stupid insulting and really damn clever to ensure new players are aware of the potentially and deliberately offensive content of the game players must confirm that they are not offended easily before they can begin playing in august 2008 a second episode of the game was in preparation prior to release it was released in beta to a small number of players in mid-September. Episode 2 is a continuation of Episode 1. Of course it is. Uh, Crotch Zombie released Episode 2 on October 15, 2008. Prior to its release, they provided sneak peeks and spoilers of Episode 2 content while also reaching out to users to provide in-game content. Closed beta began on September 15th, inviting contributors of... Episode 2, to help test out the content on the 20th of January, 2010. Uh, Forum Wars released its third episode. There should be a period in there somewhere. There's not. <laughs> that was all one sentence. I didn't mess up. Wow. Okay. Um, as of February 2011, the game had over 225,000 accounts. That's a lot. Right, but it's 2015. So yeah. how many of those are actually active now? True. <laughs> so it takes place on a fake parodic version of the internet. Okay. And you go to different forums. Uh-huh. And I guess you battle on there. So you attack virtual forums? 
Each I think you're on different. virtual forums and you attack other users, maybe? Oh, it says that attacks consist of posting various obnoxious comments and trolling via an array of attacks specific to the user class, including self-mutilation for emo <laughs> kids, threaten to contact authorities for cam whores, uh, ASCII art attacks for trolls, and font changing for hackers, and tech support for permanoobs. Uh, while, while attacking, the virtual inhabitants of the forum will respond and retaliate, causing the player damage. <laughs> and uh, the hit points used in most RPGs are replaced with ego <laughs> in forum wars because the game is based entirely around the flaming populace hmm. and culture. I feel like this game is probably... Just a lot of, you know, overused lingo and very surface level, like, I don't know. Expletives and expletives and de degrading words, the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it has to be, it sounds like. If that's what an attack consists of, then, yep, yep, just, uh... A bunch of people being terrible to each other. Oh, your health boosts in the game. <laughs> they are not health packs. They are antidepressants. Well. <laughs> For every thread that you derail, you receive gifts. Well. <laughs> so if you troll successfully, you are you are recognized by your fellow internet peers, and you will win things. <laughs> oh, come on. Look at that side quest. Trapped in a closet by R. Kelly. Yep. It's a text, there's side quests including a very brief text adventure game based loosely around <laughs> Trapped in a Closet by R. Kelly. And there's a second much longer text adventure based on it in episode two. <sighs> this doesn't sound like a very good game. <laughs> nope. Sounds like something I get my fill of just having to deal with the internet whenever I'm trying to use it for normal people <laughs> reasons. Though, I will give them credit for giving those people who want to make an internet forum terrible some sort of outlet. Yeah. Because think about it. If they have to sit in front of a keyboard and type insulting things out on here in the form of a game in order to win the game, <laughs> then they can't be typing it out in the forum, can they? True. It contains it. For that, it's pretty smart. Yeah. It's always good to provide an outlet for not good behavior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not that we're trying to encourage it, but I mean, if you can, like, you can contain it a little yeah. bit, curb it, kind of curb your enthusiasm a little <laughs> bit about that kind of thing. Okay. Do we want to go to one more? Here. I think we have time for one more. Can always do one more. It's always money in the banana stand. Trapped in the closet, featuring R. Kelly. That is a link. <laughs> 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 All right, here we go. This will be. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Trapped in the closet. Yep. We're here. 
finally did it, man. We made it. We made it to the, the promised land. A rap opera by American R&B singer R. Kelly. Consists of 33 chapters released between 2005 and 2012. The entire story is about a one-night stand that sets off a chain of events that just gets more and more absurd and ridiculous. The music follows a distinct E major pattern, and most chapters of the story feature the same melodic theme. The first five chapters originally appeared as the final tracks on Kelly's album, TP3 Reloaded. R. Kelly wrote and produced all five chapters, and they were recorded by Andy Gallus. The first chapter was released as the lead single from the album in 2005, which is surprising. Yeah. The lead single? How does this... Hmm. Okay, well, well, 2005, different time, different time. (laughs) So yeah, then after the success of that song series, he lip-synced a new chapter at the 2005 MTV Video Music Awards. And then in November of 2005, he released a DVD titled Trapped in the Closet with seven new chapters in addition to the first five. So it brought the total number of chapters to 12. As we all know, there were 21 more to come. (laughs) It wasn't for a bit, though. Nearly two years later, in August 2007, R. Kelly released 10 more chapters on yet another Trapped in the Closet DVD. These 10 chapters were also shown at the Independent Film Channel and were also streamed on IFC's website. What are you doing, IFC? The, I don't... I, in 2007, they were desperate for content. It was before they really hit their stride. They were still trying to figure out their place in the world. And R. Kelly was a legitimate provider of independent film content. Yeah, yeah. Whatever that may be. <laughs> Must have been pretty hard up for independent entertainment. Yeah, well... There's not that, a whole lot of that out there. But yeah, then um, in 2007, in December, the first 22 chapters were released as a DVD entitled The Big Package. And he stated that there would be more chapters written and released. Not and just more. <laughs> There's a number. 32 more chapters, he said in 2011, that he had written. 32 more as of 2011, which means that there were already 23 chapters in 2011. There's 33 out now. He released, he, he already has 32 more in addition to that 23. He has a total of 55 chapters, and we've only seen the, th- the first 33 so far. That's true. Just say. <laughs> that is very true. We've only seen 33 chapters. That's it. And there are apparently 22 more chapters out there. Oh, man. But yeah, he he continued this thing, kept releasing DVDs, described it as a hip-hopera. <laughs> it's now too long to be called a song. Ah, citation needed. (laughs) 
So, I can't believe this. When asked about writing the song, Kelly stated, I don't know how to explain how I wrote it. It just keeps rhyming and rhyming. He also stated that Trapped in the Closet seems to have taken on a life, mind, and body of its own. Oh, mind and body. It's called the series An Alien. <laughs> <laughs> the series. The series of songs is an alien. Uh, Oh, the best part is, is the plot section here. Uh, each chapter follows a storyline which continues throughout the series, and the series has now become so complex, they have to have a character relationship map, which is pictured <laughs> to the right of the plot section here. Uh, it shows you uh, who has sex with whom in the trapped in the closet world. Um, there is an option for... Uh, people by the name of Sylvester, Roxanne, Kathy, Gwendolyn, Tina, Rufus, James, Twan, Chuck, Bridget, and Big Man. And uh, seems like a lot of uh, a lot of people are very uh, explorative in this universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Rufus and Chuck, they're they're hooking up. <laughs> yeah, I I remember being forced to watch all of these 33 chapters and it wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for every five minutes there's like the end of the song like yeah and then some big crazy twist happens (laughs) why did that happen what is going on right now i had to continue man it takes on it takes on a life a life of its own (laughs) you can't can't stop it now it's alive it's a real it's a human it's an alien human being thing (laughs) Wait. Okay. So, all right. Let's let's just uh, explain the first chapter here. Starts out simple enough. R. Kelly wakes up in bed with a woman who's not his wife. Right. He's about to leave. She says her husband is coming up the stairs, and he goes to hide in the closet. And then the woman and her husband then begin making love, and. So uh, R. Kelly's phone rings, and the husband is uh, clearly hearing the phone, comes to investigate, and as R. Kelly prepares, he takes out his Beretta pistol. However, the pistol he reveals is actually a Colt 1911. Well, okay. That's a little (laughs) bit different. Um, I, I don't think that's the twist. No, I mean that's just not, anyway. a error, I guess. Unless it was like a genius thing that's <laughs> going to come back in chapter forty somewhere. Like he just nested that in the first chapter just to have more yeah. stuff to talk about. Chapter two, having discovered that Sylvester is in his wife's closet, the husband cl- nearly attacks him but stops because Sylvester is armed. He tells Sylvester that he is a pastor and not prone to <laughs> violence. So when Sylvester so- tries to leave, the husband tells him to stay because he wants to reveal a secret. He then calls someone he calls his he calls baby and says to turn the car around. Sylvester is anxious about what the husband is about to reveal and becomes threatening. But then someone knocks at the door. The husband opens the door and the person turns out to be another man revealing Rufus to be bisexual. And <laughs> so, the yeah. cliffhanger line, I can't believe it's a man. <laughs> yeah, so this is already starting out as a soap opera and quickly starts delving into, you know, 
stretching for twists. By the time we hit Chapter in the Closet, chapters 25 through 33, there are various people in old person wigs <laughs> on the DVD cover, and I'm not sure what has ended up happening. Just for <laughs> a taste here. Let's go ahead and skip down to uh, chapter 33. Yeah. This chapter involves Sylvester, our main man, R. Kelly, remember, and Twan meeting up with the mobster, Bino. The conclusion of part three begins with the character Bankhead opening the door and is at first reluctant to let the men in. He warns and threatens them and then guides the men to Bino. Bino is eating sunflower seeds aggressively <laughs> and listens to Sylvester as he makes his proposal. Something seems to be bothering Bino's throat and he reveals that Joey shot him in the neck during a past deal. Bino doesn't care much for Sylvester's humor and tells his men to kill them after revealing that he is aware of Sylvester making deals with the Italians. Wow, Sylvester's been busy in the last couple <laughs> of chapters. Twan saves the day and takes Bankhead's gun and the two flee. Then the melody changes from an upbeat one to an upbeat one as Bankhead and his crew chase Sylvester and Twan. The two men run and end up hiding behind a garbage bin. After assuring that they weren't followed, Sylvester reveals to Twan that they're standing outside of the back entrance to the show that the cast has been doing confessionals for, out of the closet with Larry. The two men walk inside and the chapter ends as the show is about to begin. The ending cliffhanger outro line is, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the out of the closet show. Now give it up for your host, Larry. So, Things I don't even- come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Sylvester characters now officially out of the closet yep. with Larry. Right? That's that's where we've left off. That's yeah. where we are. We're out of the closet with Larry. That's what it says. <laughs> okay, well, this is something I... Uh, wow. Th this is getting out of hand. The first chapter of Trapped in the Closet was ranked by VH1 as the number 41 best song of the 2000s. We do wrong in the 2000s. I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there weren't enough good songs. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that's what. That's like all of. Yeah. Me. Yeah. It's it's very. Like I don't know. I guess if you say monotone, kind of. Just the whole thing is like the same thing. Mm -hmm. Just keeps going with the same thing. R. Kelly gets a little bit louder sometimes, <laughs> but most of the time he's, you know, pretty much just singing. Yeah. Like very E E major. E. Well, it has led to numerous good uh, pop culture parodies, such as <laughs> the uh, South Park episode named Trapped in the Closet, which became a very, very big deal yeah. as it made fun of Scientologists mercilessly. Yep. I don't even know if you can find that episode anymore because they got so much backlash from it. <laughs> yeah, so um, chapters 22, 23 through 33 were released on February 13, 2013. So we'll be on the lookout for more coming. Because those were released like six years after seven years. No, six years after the previous ones. So it might not even be until 2019 before we get more. B 
you may have to wait until the guy's dead before he releases them. Could you be. may just have them like under lock and key to like provide money for his kids mm. in the event of his death. Although he did state that he is working on a movie version of Trapped in the Closet that will be released to theaters and it would be called Trapped in the Closet the movie. Okay. <laughs> also, there's a book, Trapped in the Closet, the book. Why? And it is soon to be released, and the show is heading to Broadway. Wait. Wait. Show? Really? Yeah. Uh, it is yet to be released book. So it is done, but not out. Okay. And Okay. Yeah. So, yep, there's a book being released, and there's going to be a Broadway debut of the show. Oh, the book is about what happened before the characters actually meet in the musical. So this is about how R. Kelly gets trapped in the closet. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's where the other chapters have to come. Wow, yeah. this is just, this is nuts. <laughs> he has really delved into his life's work here. His magnum opus. Yeah. I don't know when we're going to get to see the next um, sur- surge of chapters, but... I think I think the world will is waiting waiting very, very, very patiently uh, <laughs> for them. Like, they, they, yeah. they can... They, they've... Boy, boy, could they wait for, for more of these. <laughs> I mean, man, yeah. can they really just... They can't release them slow enough. <laughs> yep. But, uh, yeah, yep. That's about all there is to say about Trapped in the Closet. Mm-hmm. If you dare, you can go ahead and check out the DVD set. But It's a trip. We didn't war- <laughs> Don't say we didn't warn you. Yeah. So, from... My rice tin to trapped in the closet. That is one of the most <laughs> impressive strides we have made in the podcast, very, I think. Very impressive. <laughs> From an anti-accident compound <laughs> to this. Oh, how uh, we have fallen. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So go ahead and go to facebook.com slash podcast. Give us a like and follow. Then head over to iTunes and rate and review us. And as always, you can find new episodes on our website, twc.ericterribio.com. And I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Charlie Strait for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. How do we even manage that? <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta hit the back button on my browser. I gotta see... How do we? Oh, right. I think it was Chem Spider Man. Chem Spider. Yeah. Chem Spider really took us it down. Up a world of weird. Yeah. Of weird. Yeah. And bad. <laughs> I was really hoping it was going to take us to some sort of superheroes, but nope, nope. We ended up trapped in the closet. can't believe that we went but i mean seriously though even the things that we went through prior to this don't add up it's a bunch of software <laughs> wars software wars yeah 
in a game based on Software Wars, and then out of nowhere, trapped in the closet. Done. Ugh. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that one was that was a little weird. A little weird. Bit of a stretch. Yeah. That's alright though. Huh. Yeah, yeah.